Are you ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's episode is called Disruption. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. We're going to talk to you all about technology and the role that technology is playing on disrupting our culture and every single area of our lives. And we're also going to talk about the women and the role of women in disrupting technology itself. So it's sort of like a double-layered disruption conversation which I think is kind of fun. That's very cool. I'm excited about this one. We felt like given the amount of press right now on the topic of women in technology and how many women have been speaking out publicly for the first time about their own experiences in working in startups and for technology companies and our own experience with going into the startup world, I think we felt like it was an obligatory conversation for us to have publicly as well. Um, And so this conversation may not be super relevant to you and your business and your life, but we are going to hopefully prove otherwise to you because, yeah, it's really relevant to anybody living in the industrialized world right now. What's going on with tech companies and with technology itself is super relevant to you and pretty much everything you use in your life. We're going to show you that it is. We wanted to first start out by having a little conversation about what's going on in tech. And what's going on right now is this sort of uprising, I think, that's taking place where women, like I said, are starting to speak out and share stories of ways that they were discriminated against in the workplace or really shady stuff that's gone on, both for women who are technologists who are working for startups or big companies, but also for the female founders who are starting companies themselves. And we talked about in a previous episode the fact that about 5% of startups are founded by women. And and that includes co-founder teams where there's one female founder among you know, the sort of founding team. Those are really tiny, tiny numbers. And tech companies are known for their lack of diversity, both gender diversity and racial and ethnic and other kinds of diversity as well. We obviously know more about the role of being women. We are two white women and we understand that we have certain benefits and a certain bias that goes along with that role. We're going to be speaking from that role because that's the role that we know. It's still kind of a rough role to have, to be honest, in this sector. So Sandy, I know I sent you some articles and we both have been reading articles in The New Yorker recently and other popular magazines and newspapers about what's taking place in Silicon Valley and even outside of it. And I just like wanted to check in with you and get your thoughts on this. Like how does reading those articles make you feel and what are your biggest takeaways from that? Yeah, it's so fascinating what's happening because there was a few people who kind of initially spoke out in Silicon Valley about their experience of sexual harassment. Then the floodgates opened, right? And there's just been article after article. You can't even keep up with how many are on Medium or in some of the major uh, publications like New Yorker. It's sort of um, horrifying, but yet I understand it. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to understand it like I'm 
okay with it. I mean, I've witnessed it. I've seen it. I've heard about it. We've been in the trenches, right? I feel sort of a camaraderie with those women and like so proud that they are being brave and actually taking this to court and perhaps losing, but still like allowing others to come after and speak out for the horrible treatment that they've experienced. You know, we're not trying to say that everyone or everything is is bad towards women in technology because it's not true. We also have a lot of benefits, which we'll get into later by being sort of women in tech. But the reason why we have those special perks and special benefits and opportunities is because of the fact that this is an industry that is so incredibly male-dominated. I've never really seen anything quite like it. We talked about last week just our own experiences as women sort of feeling burdened by being women in one way or another or feeling like held back by being women um, and just sort of trying to remember those instances ourselves. We reflected back on that a little bit last week. But this is a little bit of a different conversation. The reason why we think it's so incredibly important to every single one of you and to us that we have this conversation is because when there are cultural biases against a certain group of people, it takes essentially a revolution to change that. And it takes people who are willing to be revolutionary to go into the trenches and start to make a cultural shift. And the reason it's so important that women and other underrepresented groups are playing a role in technology is because of how much technology is impacting our culture and essentially changing the way that we live, work, connect, and communicate with each other. We've talked about this a little bit before in other episodes, but I feel like it's important for every single one of us to think critically about who gets to decide what that revolution looks like, who gets to decide how those things are disrupted. First of all, do they have the authority to make those decisions about how we engage with healthcare and how we engage with transportation and democracy and, you know, every single aspect of the way we live our lives, again, is being disrupted in this way. We have a yoga software company, and we're obviously not changing the way the insurance industry works. We're not changing the way that people deal with their doctors, but we are changing the way a certain group of people run their businesses. We're proud of the fact that we're able to play a role in this disruption, however small, and you know, even in just a small sector in wellness. But the fact of the matter is that women playing this role are few and far between. Yeah, we mentioned last, I think it was last week's episode where we talked about the example, like women need to be at the table when they are in product design and designing what to make and how to make it. How do you use it? And we had the example of Apple's health app that they forgot to put any kind of menstrual tracking. They completely missed the ball on that one. Primarily, the people that are making this new disruptive technology are white 20-something-year-old males. If there is an app coming for your elderly parents to somehow in the healthcare or take care of your elderly parents? Do you want that to be a 20-year-old male making that app? Like there's just, it doesn't make any sense. So it's so important that we are able to be inclusive and get women on the boards or, you know, feeling confident and comfortable to come forward with a brilliant new idea and be able to launch it into something that's affecting and impacting people's lives. Yeah, that particular example, I remember Melinda Gates was saying that She was in an article in Wired Magazine last year where she was being asked about artificial intelligence. And she was saying that this is sort of the next big thing. This is AI is is where everything is going and machine learning. And do you want some young guy creating an application to deal with like home health care for elderly people? Because that's what's happening. Like that's how this works right now. 
And I don't think, again, it's just about women in terms of diversity. I also think beyond ethnicity and gender, it's also age too, right? So that's another thing too, is that neither of us are in our 20s, Sandy, and Mm -hmm. we both are moms and we're both parents. And I think that there's also another voice that's needed in these companies. And that is sort of a diverse group of people across age, across gender, across, you know, every kind of diversity imaginable, because it's just not possible for someone who hasn't had certain life situations, (laughs) certain life circumstances to know how something should be made. And you can be like the best user experience researcher in the entire world, and you can maybe get close. But I personally feel like we were able to create something in our market because we both had a background in and passion for yoga and wellness and fitness. And it wouldn't really work. Like we wouldn't understand the needs of our clients if we had no background in that. Even if we had done all of these interviews, which we've done and done all of this usability testing, it still wouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. I think it takes using what you make and knowing if it works. Yeah, well, we've had many situations where we're working on a change that's visible to the user and our dev team will suggest something and we're both like, no, you can't do it that way. That doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. But it's because, you know, they don't know. Yeah, some of those are young, young guys too. Like, I think like one of our developers, I'd be surprised if he's 16 years old, to be honest. Like, we know he's older than that, but he seems... Young, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, like... (laughs) Like, are you legally able to work for us? I know. I asked. I asked because I thought he was 13 and he's not. Um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, do you want like 13-year-old boys designing all the, to- the tools that you use to live your life? Like, really? Or 20-year-olds? <laughs> is that different? You know, I mean, think about it. And so, I mean, I think this is why we want to have this conversation. We're proud to have technology companies as part of what we do in our portfolio of, of the way we run our business and our lives. I feel a very special pride about playing even a tiny role in this revolution because of that. Yeah. And Jenny, I have to say just before we were sort of chatting about this episode, and you brought up something that I think is so important that it never even crossed my mind, that this is related to women not even feeling comfortable using tech or not seeing themselves as techie or identifying as like, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. And not really willing to try in some cases. So can you tell us a little bit more about that thinking? Yeah, well, we hear that all the time. (laughs) I hear it every day. We hear that all the time, every day from people in our community, in our lives. And I think that there is something internally that shuts off for a lot of people, especially women, that once someone has made sort of like the smallest attempt possible at doing something and it doesn't just work smoothly and seamlessly and simply, there's this sense of like, I'm not good at this and I'm going to step back. And I think they adopt what our friend Laura Close would call the princess complex. And, you know, Laura is a feminist thinker and scholar and organizer and coach and therapist. And she has talked at length with us and with our community about this idea of a princess complex where sort of women tend to stand back and wait, wish and hope for someone to or something to come and rescue them. And I think that happens all the time around technology. And I know it does because I feel like we see it every day. (laughs) I think we've stepped up and said like, hey, we're sticking our noses in technology so you can count on us as an authority in this now. It's still a princess complex. We're the empress princes in that situation. 
I think that there's something that culturally happens to a lot of women where there's this sense of like, if it's not easy, then then it's too hard for me and someone else has to do it. And then I think that that's further reinforced throughout our adult lives as women, that you're not good at this. This wasn't designed for you. It's considered to be unfeminine to kind of know what you're doing around technology. I mean, I don't it's it, I, I don't want to say masculine, which is why I said unfeminine, which I'm sure that's not even a word. It's probably like infeminine. I don't even know if there's an, I want something that's like not quite masculine, you know, like I want something in between neutral and masculine. Like I, I think that we have this sense of not being feminine if we are good at technology and it's ridiculous. <laughs> but I think that that is by and large what our culture tells us as women. Right, right. So I think that that's part of why this conversation is relevant to our community, because it's not just who makes the technology. It's also who uses it, who masters it. You know, you're going to be more successful in your business if you learn how to use a tool really well. And part of that is being confident enough in your own skills and your own ability to be able to learn how to use it. Yeah, I would go one step farther and say that you're not going to be successful in any kind of online business if you're not willing to sit down and learn a new tool because they're constantly changing or new features come out. If you wait, hope, wish for that Prince Charming to come, your business will be flailing and failing very, very quickly. There may be a few listening and going, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that was, I was doing that. I didn't realize I was hoping for someone to swoop in and solve it all. Just hearing that and acknowledging it may sort of shift people out of that into a different gear. Like, no, I am going to, I am totally capable of figuring this out. Yeah. I can figure out Facebook ads. I don't believe that the people that come to us with those questions are lazy. Like, I don't believe it's laziness. I believe that there's something going on, right? Yeah. I feel it myself a lot. Like, it doesn't mean that I don't ever get caught in that trap either. You know, if I get logged out of Netflix for like the 300th time, when I'm trying to like get an episode of Octonauts on for my daughter <laughs> so that I can do a webinar, you know, like that's what? frustrating what? for me. Like, why is this old password being saved in my browser and not letting me log in? I experience this frustration, right? So what do I have to do? I have to calm myself down, take a moment. Big breath. Try to understand where that password is getting saved maybe have to Google how to get into that keychain. It's not like we don't ever have those issues, right? It's just this idea of like, oh, this is annoying. Ah, I have to take a deep breath and figure out how to fix it. Mm -hmm. I know in myself now, like, and I know you do, Sandy, too. Like, I know I can figure it out. I know you and I could figure anything out. I've seen us do it mm -hmm. yep. over and over and over again. Doesn't matter how hard it is. Once you've done it enough times, you develop that sense within yourself. And then I think that it, that is what allows you to take that deep breath and just go dive into it because you feel competent at knowing that you're going to get to an answer. Yep. Sometimes we're up late nights. Exactly. There isn't a problem out there that doesn't have a blog post about it. Somebody somewhere has written like, oh, can't find your Netflix password lost in some keychain. There is a blog post about it. So that's, yeah. So there is no problem that I will not attempt to solve myself. It'll it'd have to be pretty major for me to phone their help desk. But then you will, right? Like that's the other thing is you try really, really hard. I always go to support. Like I think a lot of people are also afraid. If they really can't figure it out, then they're like, oh, I'm just not good at this or I can't figure it out. I'm going to give up. But then the next step is you go to support and you email support. Because maybe it doesn't work. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's, there's like, a they buzz. And then they can write you back and say, oh, we know this is a known issue. We're working on that. And that is part of the problem solving process. And that's also empowering too. I mean, I think that the worst thing you can do is give up because it's hard. 
I don't think it's hard. It's just complicated. Like there's a difference between something being hard and being complicated and taking some time. It takes time. That's what I was going to say. Because sometimes you sit down to do task A, something can't figure it out and you have to do this other task that takes 20 minutes and then that's all the time you had to work on that. And that's frustrating, right? Like if someone could just tell me how to do this and I could move on with my primary tasks, I get the time thing. But you know what? That's just that's just how it is on online. That's just how technology works that you may get derailed. Yeah. And we all know that technology since the industrial revolution was supposed to save people time and and like in theory have us work less and it's always Mm -hmm. done the opposite. (laughs) There's no magic like people working less because of technology. It just creates more complexity in our lives. So just acknowledge that you're the same as everyone else if you're running into those issues. And I think knowing like that there's something that societally is happening to you that you have internalized and it's constantly being reinforced because you are a female. Mm -hmm. Don't let it hold you back, but just know that it's there and maybe it'll just give you that much more sort of drive to push through it and empower you to take the next step. And if someone said that to me, if I heard that message from you, I'd be like, I'm figuring it out. Now I'm really figuring it out. Watch me. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. Okay, so Jenny, I'm wondering if you would be willing to share some personal stories. So as most people know, we did go through an accelerator. Namastream went through an accelerator about a year ago, I think it was. Mm-hmm. A little over a year ago, we finished. So we were in it. We were in that startup world in Seattle, not in Silicon Valley. I just would love for you to share a little bit about some of the experiences you had being female in a very male-dominated tech accelerator out of Seattle. So let me just first say that the startup world in general is crazy and totally insane. I was talking to you, Sandy, about this book earlier, and I'm just going to mention it as in the other mentions in the show notes, just this book called Disrupted. And if you've ever watched Silicon Valley, the author of this book is one of the writers. And he was sort of, um, you know, midlife journalist (laughs) who ended up going to work for a startup, HubSpot. And it's his like real life account of 20 months working in a startup and like the insanity people who had way too much money and power, right? And it's that sort of that world. And, um, and so I will just preface it without going into too many stories by saying that the startup world is insane. When you're going into a world that's already incredibly dysfunctional, and then you're a minority in that world, in this case, a female, where there are n- no females, <laughs> just about, then it's, it's like doubly insane because the startup world sort of has its own rules. It has its own sort of like bro culture. A lot of the men, truthfully, that I've gotten to know in the startup world, like don't really believe in or buy into that culture, but they play into it in order to get the job done, in order to raise their rounds, in order to be able to hire the people they want to hire. And so I just want to preface it with that. But then beyond that, being a woman and being a woman who's also a mom is a whole other story. Like there's 5% of us that are founders that are women. And I don't know the statistics for how many of those 5% are mothers. My guess is it's like 2% or less of startup founders are moms. You probably all have heard about the child tax that happens to working women where women are penalized in terms of pay once they have children and men sort of get a raise. 
they're considered to be more high earners. Once they have kids and women, it's the opposite of. And I would say that that's really true also in the startup space, that like women who have children are extremely- Not many. Rare and also- it's very hard for those women to make it, to be respected by investors. I had at least two investors ask me about my child and um, ask me if I had children. Like many investors asked me if I had children. I wore a ring um, because I was told to wear a ring. We were told even if you're not married to wear a ring because you don't want to get hit on and propositioned, right? So everyone wears a ring. So that's like one side. That's one thing, right? So everyone wears a ring, whether or not they're married. And then, so you're wearing a ring. And so it sort of invites this conversation into your personal life. To me, like whether or not I have a child or whether or not I'm married is irrelevant to whether or not my business is worthy of being invested in. I'll just put it there. And men don't get the same questions, right? So I remember hearing another woman in town who has a male co-founder talk about how they pitched and at the end of their pitch to this group of angel investors, even though the male founder had children and the female one didn't. Oh my God. She was asked, do you have children at the end of the pitch? Mm -hmm. And um, she didn't. She's like, no, but my co-founder does and pointed to the guy. And that's the kind of stuff that happens, right? It's subtle. It's not like somebody necessarily propositioning you for a date or whatever. But that happens also all the time. It's also this like subtle stuff, right? Like, so do you have kids? So how does that work? Mm -hmm. And I actually had an investor. I don't even know if I've talked to you about this, Sandy. I had an investor tell me I would have never let my wife work or, or start a company when, we had, when our children were small. So you're a bad person, Jenny. Yeah. Like you're a bad person to be like doing this with a three-year-old you know it's totally never would come up with a man, right, who's pitching no, no, to an investor no, no. the fact that they have a child. And the other thing that we did talk about a lot, Sandy, is because we have a company in the yoga and wellness space, a lot of venture capitalists and angel investors are married to yoga teachers. That is a weird other thing. Yeah, they always said that to us. Yeah, like my wife, like, oh, my wife's a yoga teacher. Like we pitched this business. Here's our startup. Here's our projections. Here's our story. Here's our team. And like, oh, yeah, my wife's a yoga teacher. Like, excuse me? Or not even a teacher. I remember them just saying, my wife practices yoga. And it's my like, wife practices fantastic. yoga. Yeah, but a lot of them actually have yoga teacher wives too. Great. So <laughs> are you going to invest or not? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. The males struggled to understand the concept of the company, it seemed. Like, they never quite got it. Where the women that you pitched to seemed, did. They absolutely did. Yeah came down to the relationship. Like they understood that if you have a teacher that you love, that you will go wherever they are in line and purchase product, membership, whatever. And the guys could not understand that. Yeah, I think that's true for the most part. By and large, just about all the women we pitched to wanted to participate in our round and many of the men that we pitched to didn't. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. And that's hard because most <laughs> investors are men. So that skews things. And I know in a lot of other situations for female-founded startups, because I'm in a bunch of groups for female founders, this is actually quite typical that a lot of women-run startups are funded by women. It's just sort of how it works. But we should acknowledge, like, there were some really amazing men. Interestingly enough, many of the men, like a, a, at least a decent handful of investors that we talked to about our product, were really interested in the technology, but not keeping it in the yoga market or the wellness space. And I was like, but 
this is our whole business. <laughs> like our we built this product in this in this company around a particular industry because this is our these these are our people. Like that's what we did. Like it was not like, oh, let's build this thing and find a market for it, which is how, by the way, a lot of startups are, which is horrifying. We were like, here is this market we want to serve. Let's figure out what they need and go build it. And so to me, the idea that we would take our existing platform and technology and pivot away from wellness was insane. Like I wouldn't even entertain those conversations when someone was like, you should really use this like franchise businesses. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, like I have no interest in taking the company and putting it in another market. Anyway, so that, that's like sort of a separate side story, like investor drama. It's not just doing it once. It's doing it once, spending the money, doing it all over oh, yeah. again. We like, had amazing. Was, there are. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's go the back. truth of the story, right? That's the truth of any story is that it's complicated and there's a lot of gray area. But ultimately, we decided to walk away from the traditional startup world and be a bootstrapped company. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but I would say a primary reason, if not the primary reason for us, was because of the experience that I had in pitching to investors and the discomfort it led me, like as a human being, like to feel such a sense of dis-ease when you're an investment-backed startup, you have to raise around pretty frequently. Like you have a seed run in a Series A. Like it, you're basically fundraising for years as the CEO. And the idea that I would spend the next few years of my life doing that on a personal level did not sit with me very well. Six months after you close the first round, you're like already raising the next round. And so rather than run this company that I, I love, that I wanted to run and be part of, I would have had to be doing that. And um, to me, that was terrible. So, you know, for a number of reasons, we walked away, right? And so our story pivots from these like newspaper stories that we're reading about the startup world and the women being sexually harassed and all all these sorts of things because we left. We went out on our own and we've been out on our own for a year and it's been a wild ride and I wouldn't change it because there is a reason we left that other world. And so this is, that's how our story kind of relates to that other space. So as, as we read all of these magazine articles, when we read these medium stories and people coming out with these like story after story from, from engineers and female founders, like nothing surprises us. And I think that we need to see a big shift happen. And I know there are a lot of people working on that shift right now, but I think it also starts with us, you know, like choosing, making the choice that we chose. And every time somebody speaks up and speaks out about this, I think it adds more fuel to the fire for the revolution. And it's important that all of you, even if you don't have a a technology company, you're not interested in ever being an engineer, you're not interested in having your own startup, you're playing a role by using all these tools that you do use. And I think it's just deciding to be aware of who's making those tools, like what's being sacrificed, what, what experiences do those people have, like who's represented in the creation of those things. Just being an aware sort of user and consumer is the first step. It also starts with our daughters. Yeah. Are you ready to move into Joy and Hustle? Yeah, let's do it. I have a Joy that I love. It's a book that for those of you who have girls, and I actually think for little boys too, almost more so, (laughs) moms with little boys read this book. Yeah. There's a book called Hello Ruby, which is Adventures in Coding. And it's about a little girl named Ruby. And it's a play on Ruby on Rails. 
and it's a great story. It's like a little chapter book. My daughter's five now and loves it. And I would say like any sort of like five to eight year olds, it would be a great gift. It would be a great book for. And there's a lot of other resources too for teaching girls entrepreneurship or coding or just getting them familiar with technology. I think that there's a a wave in, in STEM education that's happening right now around this stuff, which is great. So that's my joy. And The Hustle is a book called Geek Girl Rising, Inside the Sisterhood Shaking Up Tech, and it's written by Heather Cabot and Samantha Wallravens. Even if you're not in tech, and like Jenny said, if this is not where you want to go, it's such an interesting read about these inside stories of all these incredible, innovative women, all different ages, and they're starting companies that need to be started. Just real visionaries, I think. And I just find it so um, motivating and inspiring to read about these women. And it does have the sort of the subculture and these sort of underground communities that they, you know, for investment that they that they go to for for support. So it's it's interesting. Like it's just a whole world that most of us don't know anything about. Yeah, I I think that book is a great suggestion. I think just to even understand the what how the world is getting shaped in terms of technology, in terms of the tools and apps that you use every day. Yeah, and I'll also just say, like, I have this a slight involvement in some of these sort of like underground worlds of women in technology and female founders. There's a lot of stuff going on where women are helping women in ways that I've never seen in any other community I've ever been a part of online, offline. I've never seen the kind of support, camaraderie, um, mentoring that I've seen in the women in tech community over the last year. I would say it's not even the last year, because a year ago, we might have made a different decision, Sandy, I think if, if we had support or other options. Yeah, I think if we had this sort of camaraderie mm-hmm. and mentorship that I've seen take place in the recent months. And so I just would say to any of you who are interested in starting your own company, that there's never been a better time for women to do so. And if you're a dude, you know, hire some women. <laughs> if you're listening, if you're one of our male listeners and you have a business, hire some women, choose to work and do business with companies run by women and other sort of diverse groups of people. There is something for everyone in this movement. I think that the world is going to be better off because this revolution is taking place. Perfect place to end with that statement. Yeah. Chew on that for the week and we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample. Sample.